Thank you so much for joining Conversations with Cohen. I'm your host, Greg Cohen, Office Leasing Specialist at Cressa. And this podcast and video are for office tenants to help educate them about all things regarding their office, from leasing to architecture and everything in between. Whether you're an entrepreneur thinking about your first office or a director of real estate managing a large real estate portfolio, this podcast is for you. I've got a really interesting show for you today. My guest is David Friedman of CultureWise. We're going to be talking about maintaining office culture while working remotely. From small businesses to large enterprises, company culture is something that every business thinks about or should be thinking about. And now with the physical barriers created by COVID resulting in employees working from home, some companies are struggling with team engagement and maintaining the culture of the organizations they've worked so hard to build. Before we get started, and just as a reminder, if you want to reach me, I'm at Greg Cohen NYC on Instagram, and if you're new to this video series or podcast, hit the subscribe button below so you never miss a future episode. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Perhaps we can start with you introducing yourself. Sure, Greg. So my name is David Friedman, and I'm the CEO of a company called High Performing Culture, and we have a particular product that we use and talk and teach people about and help them with called CultureWise. And my background, just real quick background, I spent 27 years as the CEO of a company that I built in southern New Jersey that was an employee benefits consulting company. And during the years that I was growing that company, I would tell you, Greg, that virtually all of our success, and we were very successful, virtually all of it was based on the culture that we had built in that company. It was everything for us. And as the CEO of that company, I did a series of things in a, a very intentional way to create that culture. And I later ended up selling that company, wrote a couple of books about what I had learned. Those books led to speaking opportunities. People asked me to, as they heard me speak, people said, hey, that's really interesting stuff. Could I hire you to help me do you know, what you were talking about in my company? And over the years, I've built the second company that I was just mentioning, High Performing Culture, that takes the methodology that I created as the CEO of my company to create our winning culture and teaches that methodology to lots of other businesses. So that's kind of where I come from about this topic. Great. So culture, it's such a buzzword, mm-hmm. but I don't think necessarily everyone understands what it is. So perhaps you can help by starting with what is a company culture and why is it so important? Yeah, it's a good question, Greg. And you're right. It is a buzzword that these days you can hardly open up you know, a, a business newspaper magazine without seeing some article about culture. It's everywhere. Even the sports magazines are talking about it. So it is everywhere, and yet it's just kind of a, a, uh, a nebulous, amorphous term for so many people. So to me, the culture in an organization is the set of behaviors, the things that people actually do that dictate how things happen around this organization. And it sounds so simple, and I do think most of this is simple, but the, the culture in any group of people I don't care whether we're talking about a, you know, a company, as, as your listeners are, or a family or a sports team or a, a synagogue or a church group. 
that the culture in any group, the way that that group operates, has this enormous influence over everything that happens in the organization. It influences everything. You know, there's a story I often tell about, I went to high school. Um, I, I live in southern New Jersey in a town called Moorestown, New Jersey. And um, it's down, not, the, not Morristown, but Moorestown in South Jersey. And um, I went to high school there, and the high school in Morristown has always been known for one particular sport. It's, it's the sport of women's lacrosse. Um, the, the women's lacrosse team in Morristown, for as many years as I can remember, I'm going back like, I don't know, 25 or 30 years, every year they're ranked in like the top five or 10 in the whole country. And I always say that public high school sports dynasties are really an interesting sort of cohort to study. And they're interesting to me because they have two dynamics that make them kind of unusual. The first is, and I'm sure you have this around your area, in a public high school, for the most part, you can't recruit. You're just stuck with whoever happens to show up in your, in your town. Colleges and universities, private schools, they recruit. But in public schools, you're just stuck with whoever's there. So think about that in the context of a company. Imagine if anybody knocked on the door and said, okay, I'd like to be hired. You had to take them. How hard would that be to build a great company? Secondly, think about, you know, in a school environment, you're turning over your roster every year. I mean, at least every couple of years as kids graduate. So think about that again in the context of your company. Imagine if anybody who knocked on the door and said, I'd like you to hire me, you had to take them, and you turned over your whole team every couple of years. How hard would that be to build a great team? And yet that's what public high school sports dynasties do. So you think about that and you think, so something's going on there, and it's the culture that they've created. Those teams have created cultures, environments that cause people to elevate their play. You join that women's lacrosse team in Moorstown, and you immediately pick up a vibe or an expectation that, you know what? We play like champions here. That's the way we do things. And it elevates people, causes them to perform at a higher level. Well, the same thing happens in companies. People join an organization and they immediately pick up a vibe, an expectation. Is this a high-performing environment where everybody performs at really incredible levels? Is it an average place? Is it a place where nobody gives a damn? And it affects people. You take the same people. Think about your company, Greg. You could take your same people, and if you move them to a different, you know, real estate company, they would perform differently. Maybe better, maybe worse, but it'd be different because they're in a different environment. That the culture has that much influence over everything that takes place. And so my point of view about this is if you understand that, and, and your listeners don't have to have PhDs to know this. We know this from our own experience. If you understand that that environment, that culture has this enormous influence over everything that people do, well, then I would think as, as listeners, as, as leaders, your listeners would want to do everything they could to be really intentional and really systematic about creating the kind of environment that would cause all their people to perform at a higher level. That just seems obvious. And yet, I'm sure you've seen this and experienced it. Most leaders don't. They just sort of like hope it's going to somehow work out and hope they have a good culture instead of systematically creating it. And that's the whole point that people miss is this isn't just something you wing it and hope it works out. This is something you got to take control over, whether in pandemic times where people are working remotely or any other time, you got to control this thing. And that's really the key. If we believe in culture and creating the culture and the power of culture in an organization, how do you help 
companies implement this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and what I would say as a, as a way of framing this is to just put out there right now that what I'm about to share is very, very simple and very obvious, honestly. And yet most people have never quite thought about it this way. So I'll explain it, but you're going to see how simple this is. So there are, of course, many different elements to purposely, systematically building a culture. And I actually organize the steps in the books that I've written around a framework that I, I refer to as, I call it the eight-step framework. Eight different things. You do these eight things, this is how you pull this off. But in the interest of time, I'll distill it down to there are two of the eight steps that honestly account for about 80 or 90% of the impact. If you do these two things well, you're going to be 80 or 90% of the way down the road to success. And those two things are as follows. The first thing you have to do, and it goes to your first question in this interview, is you have to be able to define with tremendous clarity exactly what you want that culture to be. Now, that's pretty obvious because how could you purposely build a particular culture if you don't know what you're trying to build in the first place? And yet, as obvious as that sounds, my experience is that very few leaders do this well. We have the typical visions and missions and values on the, on the walls and on the website, and they all look wonderful and the great you know, artwork, but most of that stuff isn't very clear. So when we talk about how to define a culture more clearly, I make a really big deal about a distinction between what I call values and what I call behaviors. So a value is an abstract concept. So values are things like quality, integrity, service, respect, innovation. They're ideas or notions. A behavior, in contrast, is an action. It's something I can see people doing. You can literally watch them. So some of the behaviors that I teach are things like honor commitments. That's something you do. Practice blameless problem solving. Get clear on expectations. Be a fanatic about response time. These are actions. So a value is an abstract idea, behavior is an action. Now the reason this distinction is relevant and not just a bunch of semantics is that the problem with the way most organizations use those traditional looking core values is that they tend to be so abstract that they mean too many different things to different people and they therefore are very difficult to operationalize. What you call respect, somebody else doesn't. And so what do you do with any of that? A behavior though, because it's really action oriented, is a lot easier to teach and coach and guide and give people feedback about. So the first step is to define really clearly the behaviors that you say, if we could get everybody in our organization doing these things consistently, these actions, man, we'd be taking no prisoners in our market. And I give those behaviors a name. I call them fundamentals because I think they're fundamental to success. So step number one is to define in really clear terms the behaviors or fundamentals that you say, this is what I want my company to be known for and this is the way we want to operate. Now, the second step that really kind of pulls this together is, again, very simple but, but critical. I call it creating rituals. So a ritual is something that we do over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. You know, you go to a ball game back in the days when we used to do that, and, uh, you know, we start with the national anthem. Or we were kids in school, and we used to start every school day with the Pledge of Allegiance. Or some people, before a meal, they start with a prayer. These are rituals. The reason that rituals are critical 
is that most people, and of course most companies, aren't very good at sticking with things. We create all these great ideas and we roll it out, we're all excited, and then we get busy and it all falls by the wayside or becomes the flavor of the month. When something's a ritual, it's not hard to do. It's just part of our routine. You know, when you, when you, when we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of the school day, nobody had to like be disciplined about trying to do it. It's just the routine, it's just what we do. So the way we use this concept is we take those fundamentals, those behaviors that I was describing, and we roll it out into the company in really interactive ways, and then we take one of those behaviors each week and we focus on it through a series of rituals. So week number one, everybody in the company all week long is thinking about practicing, focusing on fundamental number one. The week after that, everybody in the company is focused on number two, and the week after three and four and so on. And so an example of what do I mean by that is a ritual that I do in my company and pretty much all of our clients is that every meeting that we have in our company, it doesn't matter what kind of meeting it is, every meeting, even a Zoom meeting, we start every meeting with the first agenda item being the fundamental of the week. So I had a team meeting this morning uh, with my team, all remote, um, and first agenda item. We spent three or four minutes talking about this week's fundamental. What does it mean? How do we practice it? And what can we do better about it? And then we move on. We don't want to take over the meeting, but every meeting in our company begins with this week's fundamental. It's a ritual. It's just what we do. So that's an example of a ritual. So what we do is we create a number of rituals like that that give everybody lots of opportunities all week long to think about, talk about, focus on, really zone in on this week's fundamental. And if we do that this week, and next week we do the next one, the next one, the next one, we keep cycling through them over and over and over again, sooner or later these just become internalized. They become second nature. And that's the whole idea. That, you know, if I distill this to its simplest form, I often say that if we can define in really clear terms the behaviors that you say drive success in your company, and then we can create a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors over and over and over and over again, gee, sooner or later, they're going to become second nature. And that's the whole point. It really is that simple. There's six other steps, but that's the essence of the whole idea. And when you say behaviors, mm -hmm. what, are some of, what are examples of some of those behaviors? So some of the ones are ones, like I mentioned, honor commitments, practice blameless problem solving, be a fanatic about response time, do what's best for the client, listen generously, assume positive intent. These are actions. These are things that you do. And so we help companies figure out the ones that are most important to them. And we do that by facilitating with their leadership team, helping them think of what are the things that you say, if we could get our people doing these consistently, man, we'd be really good. So, so expecting those and then formalizing. So then, so speaking of which, um, from the rating I've done, you've, you've worked with over 300 companies. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that, there are lots of companies reflecting on what's next for them, given the current situation of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, can you help us uh, understand what some of the what some of the biggest questions um, that, that would most likely resonate with listeners about what are companies struggling with currently? Yeah, I would say that what they're struggling with. So, a couple of things I'd say, Greg. First thing is that. 
what they're struggling with is obviously everybody's working remotely and those companies that don't have a system for their culture who relied simply on, gee, we see each other all the time, we're together and we just seem to like each other and we have a lot of fun. If that's their view of culture, how do you maintain that when people can't see each other, when people are working remotely? How do you bring new people into that when they didn't even get a chance to meet people physically? And so that's what they're struggling with. And the solution to that goes, is both a conceptual solution and a technical solution. The conceptual part of that, the answer to, well, what do you do about that, is that you do the same thing. You've got to be systematic about it. You can't just rely on people seeing each other and think that's going to be enough. You've got to define the behaviors that are important and in a systematic way teach those. Now, the technical part of that answer is, okay, well, how do we teach them in a remote environment? So again, the concept is still the same, doesn't matter whether remote or not, you still have to define the behaviors that are important and create a structured systematic way to teach them. The way in which you teach them is a little different because of the remote environment. So as an example, um, we have a mobile app that our clients use. And the mobile app creates all kinds of ways that employees can interact with each other and the fundamental of the week. So every day, people get pushed by push notification on their phone, a daily quick tip, which gives them some thought, something to think about or consider related to this week's fundamental. They, um, every week, a message goes out from somebody with a thought about this week's fundamental and people engage with each other commenting on it or, or liking it, like in a social media kind of way. There's a feature called kudos where people are acknowledging each other when they see examples of people living to the fundamentals and all kinds of other things like that that give people lots of ways to interact with each other and around their fundamentals and their culture even when they're not physically there. So there are tools like the mobile app that help to create and cement those connections when people physically aren't together and those tools become really valuable, but the concept is still the same whether you're working remotely or not. It's just the toolkit that becomes maybe a little varied because of the remote environment. So if I've got somebody who's, who's listening who says, you know, I've got a great company culture right now, mm. right? I, I'm already there. I've, I've done these things. Well, um, I would imagine of the, the majority of those 300 companies that are the, who are clients of yours, you've got them to the point where they, have a, where they already have a culture but they still have questions. So what are they struggling with? Well, it's interesting. Before I answer that, let me just sort of push back on the premise of your question. And, and that is that, you know, we helped them to get there. I mean, we, we did, but I would tell you, and this is kind of interesting, this will make sense when I explain it, that virtually everybody that we work with, the starting point is they already have a good culture and they're proud of their culture, and they feel really good about it, and it, it's important to them. And what we do is just help give them the tools to take the good stuff they've been doing to a level that they hadn't thought about before, that they, they've never been that, that systematic about it. They had a good culture simply because they're good people. You know, if you're a good leader, you get it. You're gonna treat your people well, you're gonna care about them, and you're gonna create, you know, even accidentally, you're gonna create a nice environment. But the best companies are more systematic than that. They don't just leave it to that. 
And so what we do is we take those companies that already have a good culture, they're proud of their culture, they're thrilled with it, and we just, they've never thought about being more systematic. They didn't even know it was possible to be more systematic until they perhaps read one of my books, heard us speak somewhere, somehow bumped into us, and that caused them to say, whoa, I never heard anything like that. That's pretty powerful. I'm a culture kind of guy. We love our culture. If we could take it to another level, that'd be exciting to us. And that's who we work with. The people who have, who honestly, this sounds terrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. The people who, who are screwed up dysfunctional companies, they're screwed up and dysfunctional because they have leaders who don't get that this is important. And if they don't get that this is important, they would never spend any money to work on it. <laughs> so they stay where they are. So the people we work with, the starting point are good companies helping them to take it to another level. Now, that's a long-winded answer to the premise, but your question was, okay, for those people that are really doing well, like what do they worry about? And they worry, the things they worry about are a couple things. One is, um, again, maintaining this through the time where they don't have a physical presence and the tools are how they do it. The second thing that they worry about is just preserving the good stuff that they've created and preserving it and not losing it because of a couple of threats. One is just, again, lack of people being together. Second threat they often are faced with is sometimes maybe they're going through a leadership transition. They're going from one generation to another and the leaders are all in their 50s or 60s and going to be retiring and they worry about this great, wonderful thing we've created. How do we make sure we don't lose that as the new generation of younger people takes over? Or sometimes they worry about, we are going through an acquisition and we just acquired two or three new companies and we're blending people together. How do we make sure that our culture that we've been so proud of doesn't get diluted as we add people to it? And all of a sudden that thing that was so special about us isn't that special anymore because it all got diluted. That's the stuff they worry about. And that's why you learn to be systematic about it. You can't just hope it's going to somehow magically work out on its own. Right. Right. So you talked about your books. Uh, you talked about some of your, uh, your speaking engagements. How can uh, people find you and read more of your work and get in touch if, uh, if what you've just spoken about resonates with them, which I'm sure it yeah. does with many. Yeah. It's logical. So um, the website, so a couple places. First of all, website is CultureWise, which is the name of the particular product. So my company is High Performing Culture. The product that, we, that I created and that we teach people and help them implement is called CultureWise. CultureWise, all is in one word, W-I-S-A. Um, so CultureWise.com is the website. And on the website, there's a, there's a lot of very short videos and simple explanations of the whole program. Um, there's also links there to my books. My books are on Amazon. Um, there's two books. One is called, the first book was called Fundamentally Different. The second book is called Culture by Design. And they're both on Amazon and they're in all forms. They're in hardcover, softcover, ebook, and also in audiobook. If your listeners like listening to books, as many people do these days, both books are on Audible. And I do the, the recordings for both of those books. And my email address, of course, is david at culturewise.com. Well, David, this has been a really fascinating topic. I'm really glad that uh, you've come on and shared your experience and how you're helping companies. And I really want to thank you for, for taking the time to do that. 
Uh, for everyone listening, this has been Conversations with Cohen with David Friedman of uh, CultureWise. And uh, my name is Greg Cohen from Cressa. If you like this, don't forget to comment below. And if, you, uh, if you're not a subscriber, don't forget to hit the subscribe button below for future episodes. We'll Great see to you be with time. you, Greg. Thanks so much, David. You're welcome.